Welcome to the sermon podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. So this is our final week in this series. And the goal of this entire series, for those of you that haven't been with us this whole time, the goal of this entire series has been to help us build our spiritual houses. Ephesians 2 tells us that we together, what we call the church, we are being built up into a spiritual house where the presence of God will dwell. And 1 Peter chapter 2 describes each of us as the living stones of this spiritual house where Christ is the cornerstone. And for those that believe in Jesus, those that call themselves Christians, the goal is to be transformed into his likeness, meaning that we are built up into a spiritual house, which also then means that we will look different than the world around us. People should be able to look at us or look at Christians and be able to see something different in their life. And so this process of being built up into a spiritual house, we've, we've covered several weeks so far. And since I know that some of you are, are newer to this process, let me walk through what we have covered so far. First, we, we talked about how it begins with a desire that God desired us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And in doing that, he has presented us all with a free gift of grace, a treasure that is more valuable than anything in the world. And our response to that free gift is to desire this treasure and to pay the cost for it of surrendering everything that we own and we have and we are in order to obtain it. We begin this process of building a house by purchasing the land which contains this treasure. We must be willing to pay the cost of discipleship, of surrender. Second, we, we let God pour the foundation of Christ in our life, a foundation that we will then build upon. And while God is the one who is pouring the foundation for us, we are the ones that are deciding how much of Christ are we letting in and how much of the world are we letting in. And we thought about together how we are constantly being formed and shaped by something. And our goal as Christians is to be formed by Jesus and Jesus alone. And so we as Christians, we pay attention to the things that are forming us. We limit all of the unhealthy influences and we increase the healthy ones so that we are built on the foundation of Christ. Third, we begin building the walls of this house, the frame of the house. And we do this by producing fruit, which Jesus says happens when we remain in him. And then he says that the way that we remain in him 
is to obey his command to love one another, which we described as doing well for one another. And so we build up the walls, the frame, by doing well for one another, which is obeying the command of Christ, which means that we are remaining him, which then produces the fruit that Christ desires in us. We choose to actively love God and love our neighbor to build the walls of this house. Fourth, we we talked about how we all go through testing. We need to make sure that our frame is strong and ready because our life will be tested. Sometimes it's tested by God. Sometimes it's tested by the evil one. Or sometimes it's just tested by the circumstances in life. And the way that we withstand those tests is through Scripture. We must allow scripture to transform us in a way that strengthens us. Fifth, last week, Sabrina talked about community, how we all have different strengths and gifts that are needed within this spiritual house and how in some way or another, we are all broken, but it is through our brokenness and through the broken body of Jesus Christ that we are able to come together as one body, as one spiritual house to worship Jesus Christ. And so here we are at the end of construction. Think of this as moving day. The house is now built and it is time for us to move in, time for us to use the house. It is time for us to be used by God for his good purposes. The problem, though, is sometimes we don't feel like we are ready to be used by God. We don't feel like we are worthy enough to be used by God. We don't feel like we have anything to offer to God. Sometimes we go through life and we find ourselves doubting things. Sometimes we doubt ourselves. Sometimes we have doubt in God. Sometimes we have doubts in the direction that we are headed or when we are given a big choice to choose this way or this way, we find ourselves doubting those. And we aren't alone. The disciples of Jesus went through a similar thing. If you have a Bible with me, with you, turn with me to Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28. It'll also be on the screen. And this is the very end of the story of Jesus. Jesus, he has died, he rose from the grave, and then he appeared to the disciples again. And he is about to leave. He's about to ascend into heaven. But before he does that, he has a message for the disciples. Chapter 28, starting in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always 
to the very end of the age. Did you catch that? In this crazy experience, this crazy story of Jesus doing the impossible, some of the disciples doubted. So then I have to ask, why did they doubt? It it says that when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. So does this mean that that maybe they all, all 11 of them, remember there were 12 disciples originally, but one of them betrays Jesus, is filled with so much guilt that he kills himself. So now there's only 11 remaining. So the 11 of them go. So does this mean that the 11 of them, they all begin worshiping, but some of them begin to doubt, meaning that they, as they were worshiping, were they just going through the motions while inside they were filled with doubt? Or does this mean that some of the disciples worshiped while some of the other ones stayed back filled with doubt? And what exactly are they even doubting at this point? When we look at the gospels all together, the the four different gospels that tell the story of Jesus, when we look at all of them together, we know that this was not the first time that Jesus had appeared to him after he had risen from the grave. We know that he had already come and they had already doubted that he was really there with them. But then Jesus proved to him, proved to them that he really was there. He had Thomas, one of the disciples, touch the holes in his hand and the hole in his side. Jesus spoke with them. He ate with them. There was no denying that Jesus was physically there with them. He wasn't a ghost. He was there in body with them. So what are they doubting? Have you ever experienced this in your walk with Christ? Where at some point along the journey, there is doubt. Maybe you're at the beginning of this journey and you're still doubting whether or not Jesus is real. Or maybe you're past that point, but you remember when you once doubted, you once questioned. Or maybe you have experienced times in your life where you doubt what God is doing in your life or around your life. Or maybe you've experienced those times where you doubt yourself and what you can do. You doubt if you are worthy enough. Maybe you doubt what your next step is. And I hate to admit it, but I doubt more than I should. It's not that I I, I don't believe in God. It's not that I don't trust God. I just find myself doubting sometimes. Usually I'm either doubting my, my own abilities or I'm doubting the decisions that I'm making or the direction that we are headed. Or sometimes I'm just wondering what God is even doing. I think most of you know my story by now and the ways that God has called me and Amy to the place that we are now. We were recently married and we were on the track for a good, healthy, rich life. And then God interrupted our reality and he said, hey, you are called into ministry. And I was filled with doubt of my own abilities. But then I eventually, I gave in and I followed him. And then he began to open door after door to equip me. 
And then he comes and he says, I'm calling you to start a church, to plant a church. And I was filled with doubt that I could ever do that. But then he started to show me that it's not me that's doing anything. It is him who is working through me. And so then we started this church that we are standing or sitting here today. But then I started to doubt God as we started this church because we started and then the next month COVID hit the country and then I began to question God, what are you even doing? Why did you tell us to start now? Why not wait or start earlier? What are you doing? I began to doubt what God was even thinking. But then he used that time to show me and teach me what church is really about. And then when we were really small as a church, I started to doubt God and what he was doing. I was starting to doubt and say, God, if, you, if this is you, if you really called us to do this, then why do we only have 10 people? That is how we started. We had 10 people and, and we were killing ourselves, setting up and tearing down for 10 people. And it was mostly just the volunteers that we had at that time. And I was saying, God, if this was you, then what are you doing? Where are you? Why are you not doing what you told me you were going to be doing? But it was through that time that God showed me that if I could be faithful with a little, then he could trust me with more. And then this year, through our revival that we had in January, the church has been growing, both numerically, but more importantly, spiritually. And I'm seeing that God has been working through it all. But then these last nine months, even though the church has been doing so well, our family gets attacked so hard and it's chaos after chaos after chaos. And I find myself questioning God's motives again, not doubting him, not giving up, just questioning why now? Why at the moment that we get momentum going, why now? And sometimes what I'm realizing is sometimes that we have to go through times of doubt in order for us to open our eyes to the truth. Now, I'm not saying that we have to doubt. I'm saying that sometimes we are just so stubborn that the only way that we are willing to listen to God is when we experience tough times. The disciples, they saw Jesus, the risen Christ, and yet some doubted. And, and I have to wonder, maybe they aren't so much doubting the existence of Jesus, but maybe they are doubting themselves in some way. This whole journey with Jesus they had been walking through for a couple of years now, they, they always struggled to understand who Jesus was. They were raised to believe that one day a Messiah would come and this Messiah would come to save their people. And this Messiah was just going to be an ordinary man that God had called and sent for them. And so maybe now they are, they're starting to get it. They are starting to understand that Jesus, who was the Messiah, is actually God in the flesh. And maybe that's starting to cause doubt in everything that they thought they knew. Or maybe they are beginning to doubt their own worth. When Jesus was arrested, the disciples scattered. 
They were scared. They fled. Peter attempted to follow Jesus, but any time he would get close in the city, people would come up to him and say, hey, aren't you one of those Jesus disciples? And Peter would deny that he even knew who Jesus was. And he did this three times as Jesus predicted he would. And then he was filled with guilt. And the other disciples, they weren't even with Jesus as he was taking his last breath on the cross. And then after Jesus died, what do they do? They go back to their old life of fishing. And so maybe in this moment, maybe they were beginning to feel guilty for not staying true to Jesus and the mission that they were on. And so here they are. Some of them are worshiping, but some of them are doubting. And Jesus knows that they had abandoned him. Jesus knows that they doubted. Jesus knows that they were scared. And this was the moment that Jesus could have scolded them. He could have corrected them. He could have punished them for their doubt, for their lack of faith, for their abandonment at his death. But yet Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nations. Jesus doesn't reprimand them. He restores them. He doesn't correct them. He commissions them. He doesn't tear them down. He entrusts them with an important mission to go and make disciples. And I think sometimes we get it backwards. I think sometimes the church gets it backwards. Sometimes we think that we need to be perfect first before Jesus will use us. Sometimes we think that we need to be completely free of sin before we can approach Jesus in prayer. Sometimes we think that we need to put on our Sunday best before we step foot in church. But that is backwards. Jesus takes the broken and restores them. Maybe you've heard people say that God does not call the equipped. He equips the called, meaning that we don't start off perfect and skilled and ready. We don't prove our worth to God first. What we do first is we simply offer our heart to him in complete devotion and then he will qualify us. He will equip us. He will make us ready for the good works that he has planned for us. Jesus restored the disciples and readied them for the work. And the work was to make disciples. And so Jesus tells them how to do this. Verse 19, he says, Therefore, Go and make disciples of all the nations. He says, 
go, meaning they don't just stay put. They don't just stay in their comfort zone. They don't remain as those 11. They go to where the people are. They go out of their comfort zone. They go where God sends them. And as they are going, they are to make disciples, meaning they don't just travel from one place to another and say, okay, God, I followed. I went from here to here. But wherever they end up and wherever they go along the way, their mission is to make disciples along the journey. And they are to go to all nations, which means exactly what it says. It means all people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. The disciples of Jesus were called to go everywhere in the world to make disciples. But what exactly is a disciple? How would they know what to do when they meet someone? They tell them about Jesus, but then what? Jesus continues the second half of verse 19. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now this is huge for the disciples. Up until this point, it was only John the Baptist that was baptizing people. Jesus wasn't even baptizing people. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus did not go around baptizing people. But now he says, with all authority in heaven and on earth, I give you the power. I give you the authority. I give you the responsibility to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a, a big deal. Baptism doesn't save a person, but it represents a person being saved. It's an opportunity to publicly participate in the grace of God. The idea of baptism is that you start as one person and then you go back into the water and you emerge as a new creation. Just like in Exodus, how the Israelites were once slaves in Egypt, but then God saves them and leads them through the Red Sea where they emerge as a new creation, a new people restored to God. This is baptism. And a side note here, it's been a while since we have had a baptism service here at Restoration. And so I just want to throw this out there that if you are interested in baptism, please come talk to me. The disciples of Jesus... They were called to go make disciples and to baptize them. But it doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 20. He says, in teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. This means that discipleship is not just about proclaiming the good news of Christ. That's where it starts. But it must continue and lead to further teaching that makes dedicated and faithful followers of Christ. And Jesus is referring to everything that he taught the disciples, how to pray, how to love, how to serve, how to act, how to worship. Obeying everything that Jesus commanded means that they will live in accordance with his will, 
which is what we talked about a few weeks ago, that, that they are then allowing Christ to produce a good fruit in them. And so the disciples, they must repeat the teachings of Jesus, which lucky for us, we have recorded here in the Bible. But I want you to catch this. The fact that Jesus says to teach all, meaning everyone, all new disciples, to obey everything he commanded, means that it includes this command right here to make disciples. And so if we claim to be a disciple of Christ, then we are also commanded to go and make disciples. We are commanded to go, to go where God calls us to go, to go out of our comfort zone to all the people in the world. We are called to go, share the message of Jesus Christ. We are called to bring them into the family of God through baptism and then continue to teach them the ways of Christ. And the way that we teach is both with our words and with our actions. In other words, as we say here at Arnaz, our mission is to be and share the gospel. We must be the gospel today so that we can share the gospel tomorrow. We must be the hands and feet of Jesus and we must speak the words of Jesus. And the best part of this entire commission, this entire command is how Jesus finishes. At the end of verse 20, he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The mission, the teaching, and the life of this community that we call church rests in the assurance that Jesus is with us always. Jesus will always be in our midst. Though unseen, he will empower us. He will guide us. He will comfort us to continue his mission. So what does this mean for us today? As we've been talking throughout this entire series, our goal is to be built up into a spiritual house that people will look at and notice something different. Our goal is to be so devoted to Christ that we are willing to surrender everything to follow him. And then we build our life on the foundation of Christ so that we can continue to produce fruit and withstand every test together as one community on a mission to make disciples of the world. And so how do we do that? How do we make disciples? It starts with us and God. We must be discipled by God first. We must continually allow God to work in our lives. We must remove any doubt, surrender any fear, and allow God to move through us. And then as we are being discipled by God, then we go. The first place that we go is our home. We disciple the people that we live with. And so how do we disciple someone? We be and share the gospel. We be the gospel means that we love people. And to love people means that we do well for people. And so this means that our kids 
our significant others, our parents, our roommates, whoever we live with, we go out of our way to do well for them so that one day we can share the gospel with them. We can share about Jesus. We can teach them the commands of Jesus. And so for those that have kids at home, I have to ask, how well are you discipling your kids? I've been asked before by several of you of how to best disciple our kids at home. And again, it starts with us being discipled first. You must be discipled by God first. But then beyond that, when it comes time to teach them, the Bible is always the first tool. But the second tool is to lean on our kids' department. They, they use this entire website where you as the parent can log in with your child and watch videos, do activities, do devotions. Everything you need is one website away. And, and on that note, a quick announcement. Next week, we're going to be having a kids-led back to school service. The kids department will be leading the, the service here on Sunday morning. It will be an opportunity to see what they are learning. But then at the end, we will ask you to choose a kid to sponsor this school year. Choose a kid to pray for and spoil in whatever way you see best. Again, the goal here is discipleship at home. So as you are discipled, the first place you go is home. And as you are discipling those at home, the next place you go is wherever you gather and meet other people. Church is a great place. We all need to be discipled by God and by other Christians. And so I encourage you all to disciple one another. And another place to go is your workplace, where you are with people every day of the week, whether virtually or physically with them. And you don't have to risk your job by shouting the name of Jesus at the top of your lungs down the halls. But you can find ways to be and share the gospel in unique ways that still lead people to Jesus. And outside of work, maybe you go to kids' sports where you are with all the other parents for practices and games. Wherever you go, you should be pointing people to Jesus with your actions and with your words. But this assumes, or rather it requires us to live like Jesus all the time. To live like a true Christian should live all the time. To act like Jesus when we are alone, when we are at home, when we are at work, when we are out in the world. And sometimes it can be hard to know what acting like Christ means or looks like. And so our next sermon series after the kids service next week is going to be walking through the book of James. Focusing on what it means to live as Christ. So my question this morning is, who are you discipling? How are you allowing God to disciple you? How are you allowing other Christians to disciple you? Who are you actively discipling? Who are you actively spending time with, actively pouring into? And are you acting like Jesus 
in everything you do, in all areas? Are you being the gospel and sharing the gospel? What I want you to hear today is that the disciples went to Jesus with all of their emotions, joy and sorrow, excitement and doubt. And Jesus did not judge them, but he restored them. He sent them out on a mission and said that he would be with them every step of the way. And in the same way, we can approach Jesus with all of our emotions and thoughts. And Jesus will restore us and he will send us out. We don't have to be perfect as long as we are living with the perfect Christ inside of us. God will use us for his good works if we are willing to follow him. And my desire for us all, for our church, is that we would be a people that act like Jesus. That people would see the Arnaz sticker on your car and they would see good driving. That's a challenge, I know. That we would be at the grocery store, at work, at the park by ourselves. And they would see something different in you. And they would come up and they would say, something is different about you. You have this hope, this joy, this peace. What is that? And as we've looked at from 1 Peter 3.15, it says, be prepared to share the hope that you have in Jesus Christ when people ask you. And in that moment, you could say, you know what it is that's different about me? I have Jesus inside of me. Why don't you come and see what that is about? And then you bring them with. You bring them along the journey that we call discipleship. And so as we close today, I want you to take a moment and make a commitment to God. And that commitment will be between you and God only. You don't have to share it with anybody else. Maybe you're at the beginning of your journey and so you need to surrender your life to Christ to experience this abundance life, this joy, this peace. Maybe you need to desire more of him. Maybe you need to focus on the foundation of Christ by removing unhealthy things from your life. Maybe you need to focus on loving other people more. Maybe you need to focus on being discipled or discipling others. Whatever the next step is for you, I want you to take a moment and share that with God as we pray together. Take a moment to pray on your own and then I will close out. God, this morning I pray that you would disciple me. That you would give me the desire to continue desiring you. 
that you would help me remove any unhealthy influences in my life. God, when I'm at home, I want my kids to see Jesus in me. God, I pray for energy that when I'm exhausted from a full day of work, that you would give me the energy to disciple my kids. Jesus, I pray that you would strengthen us as a church, that you would restore our brokenness, you would heal our wounds, and you would send us out on the mission to point other people to you. God, we thank you for all the things you've done in our life. And I thank you in advance for the things that you are going to do through us and around us. God, we are here. As the prophet Isaiah said, here I am, send me. God, we are here to do your work. Send us. Father, we give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. And we pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at rnazchurch or our website, rnaz.church.